Well, as long as you are not like a strong, super strong Enneagram one with a color-coded planner and an alarm set before 6.30, then I think we're all, everybody else is pretty much the same, okay? In this, if you've ever had a scholarship to turn in or a letter of recommendation to ask for or an application for a college or maybe to sign up for an SAT or a driver's license, my guess is you waited to the exact last moment, right, to the very last day, and then it ruins your day because now you have all of this extra stress, all of this extra worry, this anxiety, this just overwhelming, consuming focus. On Did I just go out? No. Okay. Or maybe... You think back to that quiz or test you took in high school. And uh, you didn't get the score you wanted. For some of you, that's like you made an 82. And now you're like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to get in the college I want. I never can be an engineer. I can never be a doctor anymore. I can never go to this. I might as well just apply at McDonald's, right? Because you, you got that test back and you had a day ruined from that moment on because... It didn't meet your expectation. And, and so you moped around thinking that life was ruined. Everything was lost. It was all over. Or maybe, and this is not like me, you dated somebody in middle school. And, and when they sent you that text message or, uh, you know, that said, hey, I think we need to take a break. You then were in tears over the love of your life. Ending your future, ending it all. And so you moped around sad. And if only driver's license had been out at that point, right? You would have had an anthem to your pain. I was pretty proud of myself for knowing that. Uh, Carlin's going, you got to tell me what that is. (laughs) So if we looked back on that one day, that stressful, that overwhelming, that sad, that crushing, life-ruining day, when that quiz didn't come back right, when that girl broke up with you, when that anxiety over getting into this uh, test, I mean, or scholarship or whatever, if we looked at that one day and we said, we're going to study that, we're going to analyze that, we're going to extrapolate that, and we're going to say, that is who you are every single day of your life, it wouldn't be fair to you because it wouldn't be a complete picture of who you are. If we took this snapshot and said, this is who Jordan is, it would not be a fair representation. And yet, while we don't do that for that one day, I'm afraid when we open the scriptures, we read a single story of the Bible, and then we try to extrapolate it to a point where we say, well, this is only how God works. Well, this is only how he cares about people. Well, this is only how he feels about certain people groups. And if we just study one focused story, we miss the whole story. And so this morning, as we start for this semester, what we're going to be looking at is not just this idea of we're going to pick up different stories of the Bible. See, you know the different stories of the Bible. If I said, hey, I need a volunteer to go teach the third grade class, they're studying uh, Noah today in the flood. I'd have a bunch of people that say, I can do that. If I said, hey, I need somebody to go and talk about Daniel and the lion's den, we'd have a bunch of people that know that story and could go teach that story. Maybe you'd want preschoolers and not third graders, but still, you could go with some sort of confidence and teach the Good Samaritan or even the crucifixion. You may not know where it is in the Bible, 
or who told us about it, but you could feel confident in knowing that story. But, but my question is, do you know the whole story? See, we know the stories of Scripture, but do we know the story of God? And I'm afraid if we only know stories and certain pulling them out, watching them episodically, right? Like we don't get the whole arc of what God is trying to do throughout the Scriptures, And so over the next semester, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the story of God. Really from creation to the cross. And understand that he is writing a single story. And there's a bunch of different pages and chapters and experiences along the way. But we need to understand the whole story. Because if we limit him to stories, then we are not getting a complete picture of who our God is and how he works. So... Uh, what we will find out over the course of this uh, series is that everything that God does is according to plan. See, those were the two different uh, titles I had for this series. One, it was called One Story. Asher came up with that. That's what we chose to go with. It was better. The second was according to plan, that everything God is doing throughout the scriptures is according to his plan. There are no surprises. There's no confusions. There's no, uh, oh, no, there's a missed detail or, oh, gosh, I forgot to turn this in. I hope it works out still. Like, this is all working according to his plan, and he does it in, through, and around us all the time. And so let's start the first story. Genesis 1, 1, the easiest one to find, all right? It'll probably get harder as we go, as we get into some minor prophets and such, but Genesis 1, 1 is an easy one to find. Go past where your grandmother wrote, she's giving you this Bible because she's very proud of you, and it'll be there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 3, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness night. There was evening and there was morning the first day. We'll pause there. In the beginning, before the world started, here is what we know. There are two things we know. One, that God already existed. In the beginning, God, he is there. When nothing else exists, God does from beginning to the end. The second thing that we learned is in the beginning, God exists and nothing else exists. It says the Latin term, and I'm probably mispronouncing it, is ex nihilo. From nothing, God creates. He, he speaks in things that never existed before now exist. The heavens and the earth. And now the earth is just this formless void uh, material. He speaks and then light happens. This from nothing God can create. Paul will say in Colossians 1, speaking of Jesus, the word of God through whom God creates. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. So in the beginning, God exists. Then God creates. He takes this formless, void material and he says, let there be light. 
Do you see the greatness of our God that he merely says it and it happens? He commands it and it comes to be. This is how creation takes place. Out of nothing comes light and darkness, the opposite. And then it says, there was morning and there was evening the first day. Now, that's an interesting word there, and there's been much debate on the length of time of creation. The Hebrew word there is yom, Y-O-M. It can mean both a literal 24 hours, he is six yom old, or it can mean an unspecified length of time. I'll see you yom in a little while. I'll see you soon. I'll see you a little while some, at some point in the future. Some people make a very strong argument that one interpretation of Yom is better than the other. Here's what I want you to know. Your salvation does not rest on how you interpret the word Yom. Some people will fight you for that. But your salvation is not dependent on Yom. There are great arguments that Yom, that God created in six literal days. Could he? Yes. Did he? I don't know. There's other arguments, great arguments, and maybe science might fit better with it, or maybe your understanding of science might fit better with it, that God created over a period of time, and he separated them into different periods that he called days. Could he do that? Yes. Did he do that? I'm not sure. That's okay. Because my salvation doesn't rest on how I interpret Yom, but it rests on the God created, and I believe that fully, and then God saves his creation, and I believe that fully. That's what matters the most. If you want to set up a 30-minute conversation about it, cool, we can do that one time. But we're not going to sit on that so much. Here's what we do know. God existed. God created. And out of nowhere, it came to be. We know the six days. In the first three, a cool way of breaking them down is that God forms. So the first day, he forms the heaven and the earth. The second day, he forms the sky and the sea. The third day, he forms the land. Days four through six, God fills what he has formed. Day four, he fills the heavens and the earth with stars and moons and sun. The fifth day, he fills the sky with birds of the air and uh, swimming creatures in the water. The sixth day, he fills the earth with beasts and creeping things. And then he culminates that filling with humans. It says that God goes, hey, let us, verse 26, sorry, I skipped verse 31. We're going to read that because God creates an order and beauty. He looks at it. Verse 31, he says, everything that has been made, behold, it is very good. We need to always see that upon the culmination of creation, God says it is very good. But let's go back to that special creation. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. There's already Trinitarian language going on. God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are talking in communication with each other, deciding what to do. Let us make man in our own image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God said, verse 28, he blessed them. 
And he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Behold, I am giving you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. What do we take from that? Human beings hold a special place in creation. They are the prized possession of creation. We are the climax of the creation story. We are given a purpose, be fruitful and multiply. We are given relationship. God dwells with us. He, his image is in us. And then we will see next week that he is walking around with us. And finally, he has given us responsibility. We will learn in 2.15 that we are to work and keep the land. We are to be good stewards who govern over the land and the blessing that God has given us. Humans play a special role in all of creation, on all of the earth, not just that we're the most able-bodied, but that we have a divine uniqueness about us, that God chooses us and relates with us and gives us responsibility. So, that's the story of creation. But this morning, we need to, with the last few minutes that I have, discuss what do we learn from the story of creation and how does it fit in the whole story of God. The first thing we learn is that God rules the world. God rules the world. We like to use the word sovereign around here a lot. Simply put, sovereign is nothing is not in his control. Maybe you don't like all the negatives there. Everything is in his control. God rules the world. He created and he rules over it. He governs and sustains what he creates. So when we struggle with the brokenness that we experience in this place, we will learn that we have a God who is not surprised or confused, that is still reigning over this and not everything relies on me. But he's got, as the little kids would say, the whole world in his hands. So when we have that breakup, when we fail that test, when we forget to turn something in, life isn't over because God is in control. He is ruling and reigning. And we need to understand that way more than we need to hold on to what we can do. Second thing, God is good. He rules the world and He is good. What He creates is good. In both beauty and in order, I remember in 2012, Carlin and I went to a football game. Uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide were playing the Texas Aggies. Texas A&M Aggies, excuse me. Not Longhorns. Oh, messed that one up. We refer to it as the... There we go. I don't know what's going on, but... We were sitting on the 45-yard line, and halftime came around, and Johnny Manziel was going up and down the field on that Alabama Crimson Tide that was ranked number one in the nation and was hoping to win another national championship. And yet, and yet, we're losing to these kids from College Station. We're sitting stewing during halftime when the Fighting Texas Aggie Band comes out. And Chase isn't here right now. He had to go, but I wish he was. Because when I think of beauty and order, the first thing that comes to my mind is that fighting Texas Aggie band. Because you've seen it, right? Larry Eichen would be so proud right now that I am sucking up to these Aggies. 
You've seen it. And maybe if you're a freshman, you've only seen it on a jumbotron. I am sorry. It does not do justice to the precision and to the accuracy that order creates beauty. And I remember sitting mesmerized going, holy cow, that was amazing. We've seen Alabama make A's and we've seen them, you know, twirl and dance. But it was amazing to watch that beauty and order. When we look at creation, and you science majors, you guys, as you even put it under the microscope, you see beauty in order all the time. God is good, and what He creates is very good. And so we need to understand in this whole picture of God that creation leads us to understand that He is good and that we can trust Him even when our life isn't good. We, we struggle in worlds that are anything but good. But yet creation, he creates the air so that we can breathe, the, the water so that we can live. He creates the food so that we can be sustained. He creates the beast of the field because I hope there's no vegetarians in here because we can eat and eat well. If you're a vegetarian, sorry. God is good to us. And maybe you need to hear that this morning because your life is not good right now. Your headspace is not good right now. Your family back home, it's not good right now. Your grades, not good right now. But even if all of these things are not good, we can hold to one who is good, who works for our good. And as James says, the, fa- I mean, the Father of lights who gives every good and perfect gift. So, the third one, God rules the world, God is good, and thirdly, you are special to God. That's what we see in the creation story. You have a divine uniqueness that God cares about you over everything else in this created world. You bear His likeness and His image. You are sought, you are cared for, you are desired. You have a special purpose that shows itself in unique ways. You have a special relationship with Him that no other beast of this or any other living thing has You have a special responsibility. You are special to God. And this will jump off the pages over and over again as we see the creation story. So finally, how does this chapter relate to all the other chapters of the Bible? God creates a very good earth with everything we need to live. But we know we don't experience what we should. We don't experience because we have ruined what God has created. We will look at that over the next few weeks. But we must must know this, that God has a plan. A plan to redeem His prized creation. A plan to reconcile the wayward. A plan to appease His wrath and save His children. A plan to renew creation. Revelation 21. We start in Genesis 1. We'll go to Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he, was, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. The story of God is that God is a very good creator. But he's actually going to replace that what was very good with something greater. Not only will he inhabit this new great creation, but he will be in our midst, dwelling among us. All the pains of this earth that we have experienced, all the former things will have passed away as he makes all things new. The story of God is that he creates, but he doesn't abandon it. I believe the term is a deist, right? If I'm remembering my Thomas Jefferson history right. God doesn't just set a clock and say, we'll see what happens at the end. But he is with us through every page of this Bible, redeeming and reconciling his creation. Why? Because he rules this world. He's a good God, and he cares about us. So I'm excited to see as we uncover the new stories of the Bible that they point to this greater story of who God is and how he cares for us. Let me pray for us, and then I have some questions I want you guys to wrestle through today. Lord, this is a passage that we're very familiar with. There's even details that we didn't handle on here that we all know, that on the seventh day God rested, and that, that everything was good and good and good. But Lord, what we need to understand from this one chapter that we're storing in your great, studying in your great story is that you are setting us up to see you as a good God who rules this world and who cares about us. So for the student here that needs to hear that today, who has struggled thinking they need to be in control. Who has struggled wondering and doubting whether you're actually good because they look at their life and there's no good in it. For the student struggling to not feel any worth or value, that they don't matter, and no one cares. Lord, may they hear today that they have your image and have relationship with you. So Lord, may the words that you have spoken from today, may they pierce our hearts and may they change our tomorrow. May the creation story not just be a Bible story we know, but be part of your whole story as we see you working in, through, and around us in all of history. So Lord, I, I pray as we discuss some of these topics that you Create some honesty and vulnerability as we share with those around us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So on the screen, Jacob's going to throw up. I've got three questions I want you to consider. Of those three points, which one did you need to hear? That God is ruling so you can let go? That God is good, even if life doesn't feel it? Or that uh, God cares about you? Because you wonder about it sometimes. 
Second question is, why is it valuable for us to understand the story of God, not just the stories? What's the purpose in this? And finally, uh, what's one way you need God to show his goodness or his sovereignty this week? What I want you to do is I want you just to find some people around you. If you want to get in groups of three or four or however big you want to go, I don't care. Uh, Do it in a group size enough where everybody feels like they need to talk because we need to wrestle through some of these things. If you need to space out, that's fine. But I want you guys to just wrestle through some of that for the next seven or eight minutes, okay?